Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. That's a great prayer that we're going to be getting to later in this series, but it's one that um, I'm going to encourage you at the end of the service to begin praying now. Um, And first I want to say Happy Mother's Day. And, you know, in Jesus' day, the firstborn son was taken to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord, kind of like our child dedication uh, that we did with baby Isaiah uh, last week. And it was just something that God had called the, the people, the Jewish people to do. And when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple uh, when he was a baby to do that, um, there was a man named Simeon who was at the temple. And this was an older guy. And the Spirit of God had somehow communicated to him that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. So he knew he was going to meet the Messiah one day, the the one who would come and redeem and save the world. And the Spirit one day led him to the temple when Mary and Joseph were going there. And he saw Jesus and he held Jesus in his arms and he said this blessing. And um, he said some things that basically he was communicating that this child is going to save the world. And then he looked at Mary, uh, the mother, and this is what he said, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, he's going to bring some suffering and he's going to endure some suffering. And then it says in the ESV, in parentheses, he's talking to Mary and he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And sometimes I wonder if that's what she was thinking back to when she was standing at the foot of the cross when her son was being crucified And it's not just true for Mary and Jesus. It's also true for all mothers that you don't just carry your own pain. You don't just carry your own suffering in the world. You also carry the pain and the suffering and the heartache that your kids experience. You get a double whammy of it. And it never really goes away no matter how differentiated you are from your kids. You always carry a bit of that pain with you. And I also know that today's Mother's Day is wonderful for some people and hard for other people because of um, grieving, you know, maybe things with your own mom or um, you wish you were a mother and you're just not. God hasn't called you to be that yet and maybe won't. And it's difficult. And I, I hope that and what we prayed before service is that this would be a place where you can experience Christ's love and comfort through our singing, uh, through scripture, through the prayer and through our fellowship before and after service. So happy Mother's Day. Um, We're continuing in the book of Ephesians, and this is a letter that Paul wrote to a network of churches, which is in today would be um, modern-day Western Turkey. And actually, if you go to Western Turkey anytime soon, you can walk on some of the very roads that were around in the time of um, Paul writing this, this letter. And he's writing specifically to Gentiles, and in that day, the world was divided into two categories in that day and time and place. It was Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And non-Jewish people were called Gentiles. And so I think probably most everyone in this room would be in this category of a Gentile. 
Last week, Pastor Al crushed Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and that was about God's grace being extended primarily to us as individuals. And this week, we're going to pick up on verse 11 and go 11 through 18, and it's talking about how God's grace has an effect on us as a larger social community, more at the corporate level, even though I don't really like that term, but it, it works for this. Last week was more grace extended for individuals. This week, still individually, but also more on a corporate level and how God brings people together. And we're going to see the same passage that Pastor Al brought to our attention last week in that Paul starts by having us remember what life was like before God. In fact, we're going to break this passage into two parts. We're going we're to talk about the before and then the after. And that's how we're going to break this down today because that's how Paul lays it out for us. So starting with what was life like without God, uh, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. We'll start with those. So, and again, I encourage you, if you get the pastor's note, you know that I, I'm starting to encourage you to, to bring your Bibles with you. And I like having like a, actually a real Bible. It's nice having tablets and phones that you can follow along too. But there's something nice about being able to write in the margins and underline and circle and highlight things and write things that stood out to you. And um, you can, I, I said in the note yesterday, you can use the front matter of your Bible to create like references to go back to important passages, or if someone asks me a question, I don't know exactly where to find the answer, a lot of times I'll look in the front matter of my Bible and find uh, where to be directed to. So get used to bringing your Bibles and using them and marking them up. If you're uncomfortable writing in your Bible, um, I would encourage you to do it anyways. So is there another person talking in the room? I just like, I always, uh, I hear one of my favorite pastors says he always checks and makes sure other people hear that voice too, um, just in case. So, all right, let's, uh, let's do uh, Ephesians 2, starting 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, Jewish people would call them people of the uncircumcision. It's a little bit of a strange way of categorizing people, but the circumcision was essentially a way of um, marking uh, that you were God's people if you were circumcised. Now, how they knew that these people were uncircumcised, not sure, not important, but we're going to keep reading, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, I can imagine if you're here today and you're curious about Christianity, this might sound like a bit much, having no hope in the world. If I were here and not yet you know, fully committed to this Christianity thing, I would probably be a little almost offended by that. Like, what do you mean? So I got no hope, so I'm absolutely hopeless without God in the world. That's, that's kind of strong. But you can think of it in terms of it's a matter of degrees. Like when you're a disciple of Jesus, and once you've actually tasted the goodness and the sweetness of God in your life, it does feel pretty hopeless to remember what life was like before him. 
I like putting collagen in my coffee, so every morning when I wake up, there's collagen's a type of protein, and uh, Kara a while ago found this collagen that's actually chocolate, and it's got all sorts of health benefits, but I wake up in the morning now, and I put some, some, uh, some oat milk in there, and then I put my collagen, my chocolate collagen, and it's like I'm having a mocha, and it's good for me. And I hate, and it comes every 23rd. It's the 23rd of every month it comes. And I run out like the last week before it, before it comes on the 23rd. I usually run out. And I am so depressed in the morning. I don't even want to get out of bed because I have to just have this black coffee. And I'm used to having my mocha. And it's like, man, I'm remembering what it's like before this collagen. And that is such a lame, funny, goofy way of explaining that sometimes it's good to to look back and remember what life was like before certain things and particularly for us it is a good practice to remember what your life was like before Christ because if you've been following him faithfully you will notice a a big difference and sometimes you don't remember exactly what it was like so you have to you know, for me, I go through old journals sometimes or look at old pictures and just remember really how hopeless the world was for me before I was in this relationship with Jesus. So Paul uses these three phrases that we're going to look at carefully, and you can underline them or circle them as we go, um, just as cues for yourself when you reread this passage. Three phrases that describe and unpack what the hopelessness of life before Christ was like for them. And the first one he uses is, you were separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ. Now, if you've ever, if you have, like I said, tasted and experienced the love of Christ, being separated from him is like our nightmare scenario. That would be unimaginably painful for me. To be separated from the loving and sustaining presence of Christ is a nightmare. And I'm not sure who I would turn to when I was sad. I'm not sure who I would turn to when I was, when I'm scared. Um, would I feel despair, which is feeling like you're going to have the same bad day repeated every day for the rest of your life. There's no end in sight. I don't know who I would turn to when um, things start falling apart in my life when I'm hurting in any way, when I'm suffering in any way, I can't imagine not having Christ to turn to. It would be devastating. And you might be here thinking, I've never actually experienced God that way. You might have been, you, you know, you following the Lord a long time and not really experiencing that quality of love that he has for you. And so you might think, well, I don't actually know if it'd make that big of a difference because I don't really turn to Christ anyways. I've never really experienced his comforting presence in a real, tangible, experiential way anyways. And we're going to get to something later in Ephesians 3 where I'm going to help you learn how you can move more in that direction to really genuinely experience the love and the presence of Christ because it's not something that... Um, it's something that you should actually know and be able to talk about and have to turn to regularly. And if you don't have that type of relationship with Christ, um, there will be some instruction later in this series uh, to get you there. 
The second thing that Paul tells them to remember is how they were once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And the definition of a commonwealth, it's a political unit, it's a nation, a state, or in this case, a kingdom. So what Paul's saying is you were not just individually vulnerable, you were socially vulnerable. You know, you didn't have this larger community around you. You were isolated. Today, if you're a Christian, you're a part of a commonwealth too, a spiritual commonwealth, and that is, that is the church. And if you're carrying a heavy burden in life, um, the church is meant to be a place where that burden is displaced and spread and carried with you by a larger community of people so that you're not carrying the burden by yourself or you're not putting it on just a handful of people. And you know, this is one of the reasons why we have community groups at Southside. And right now our community groups meet monthly uh, as a hospitality night, but Pastor Al is going to be unveiling how we're going to have smaller um, groups that are meeting within that community group uh, to you know, be a handful, three to four or five guys getting together once a month to really check in on each other's hearts and same thing with the women. And if you're not in a hospitality night because it's just not a good season of your life, there is no shame and there is no guilt and we're not, I mean, we, don't, we just don't function. We don't play in those circles here. So no shame or guilt whatsoever. But if you would like to be a part of something, um, those will be available to anybody, even if you're not part of a hospitality night. Just a monthly time to check in with a few other people, same gender groups, to check how your heart's doing. Because God created the church in part to be a place where our burdens are distributed among a community. Uh, there's two dangers that we have to be careful of when it comes to um, how we relate to larger groups of people. One is tribalism, and one is isolation. And tribalism is essentially this attitude, you know, it's, it's me and my family against the world. It's us against the world. We're going to look out for each other. We don't really trust many more people. It's just kind of this is us. We're going to be fine. We don't need anybody. And isolation, of course, is, is when you isolate yourself individually from community. And it's just, it's, there's always a pull. All of us experience this pull from time to time. And um, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I learned this from someone else, that when a lion roars, it's not primarily a hearing experience. When a lion roars, you feel it viscerally, which means that it kind of vibrates your organs. <laughs> it almost shakes the ground when a lion roars. And the reason that happens is because, say, there's a herd of zebras out in the wild in Africa, and a, and a lion is stalking that herd of zebras, and he, when he roars, and those zebras feel it in their organs, the lion is hoping that one of the zebras, zebras gets spooked and loses, and loses their cool and kind of panics and gets away from the herd because it's going to be hard to take down a zebra and a herd of zebras because they have just such a great kick. And you're probably pretty safe when you're huddled together. But if the lion can separate, if one of them panics and splits off from the rest of the group, that's obviously who the lion is going to go after. 
And so when we do that, when we isolate ourselves, um, we're in grave danger of, of Satan's attacks. And our spiritual commonwealth, which is the church, is meant to be a place where we remain in the protective cover of the larger community. And then finally, he says, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. And when you become a part of God's covenant family, you are given resources that are just not available to you apart from Christ. And the way that you access those resources is through faith in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 1.20 says that all of God's promises find their yes in Christ. And this is where I've said before that you can look at the promises of the covenant community that we have as a church and, and say, yes, that's mine in Christ. And as you believe and have faith in Christ to provide that for you, he does. So Paul, after unpacking these three things, puts it bluntly and says, essentially, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. And you know, one of my greatest privileges as a pastor is hearing some of your stories, how scripture has become new and alive and fresh and powerful to you in ways that you've never experienced. And you feel a deeper sense of stability and peace and joy that's like staying with you in a fresh way. And that's the type of difference that having Christ in your life makes. And for those of you that are experiencing that, it's not hard for you to look back and remember what it was like before him. But if you can't see that difference in your life, if you feel like you're stuck, like that's good for other people, I've not felt that ever. There's, there's two things that I would invite you to consider and think about. These might be reasons why um, we are, pre these might be ways that we're preventing God from sharing his goodness to us in Christ. And the first one is if is he's invited you to take steps of faith and maybe you haven't responded. Uh, when we withhold obedience in any area of our lives, these resources are not going to be available to us. When we withhold obedience, he withholds the grace that as we take a step of obedience, his grace meets us in that moment and gives us and provides for us above and beyond. You will never outgive God, outserve God in any way. As you take steps of faith, more and more resources are opened up to you from God. He's not going to leave you hanging. And the second reason why maybe you haven't experienced this type of change is because you've never really surrendered your life to Christ, and you can do that right now. It doesn't matter if you've been to, you know, going to church your whole life. It doesn't matter. Have you surrendered your life? Have you said, I am tired of trying to rule and be the master of my own personal universe? And I'm ready to completely entrust myself to you. I see what Jesus did on the cross for me to pay the way for me to be a part of your eternal family. And I can't trust myself, and I can't save myself, and I can't fix myself, and I need someone more powerful to do that for me. And I want to give my life and surrender my life over to you, Christ. And you can just say those in your own way. And you're in. 
In verse 13, Paul transitions us from remembering life before Christ back into the joyful present circumstances of life with God. So we're going to read through verses 13 through 16. But now, is that, did you guys see, do you remember that pattern from last week? If you were here last week, Alex highlighted that it, it begins with remembering in verses 1 through 10, same pattern as we see in 11 through 18 what life was like before God, and then in verse 4, but God, and in verse 13 here, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, Jewish people and Gentile alike, in place of two. So making peace. So we see that he made peace vertically between us and himself and then horizontally between each other and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we're awakened out of this nightmare of life without God, and when he says, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, he's talking, obviously, about the crucifixion. And it was Jesus' sacrificial death that broke down these walls of hostility. And we're going to talk about those walls of hostility. Because they both existed symbolically in the temple. Uh, the first one, this wall of hostility between us and God, is symbolized by this really thick curtain in the temple. Um, if you visited the temple back in that day, the closer you got to the center, the less people were allowed to be admitted in those areas until you got to the very center, which is the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is the place where God's spirit was, was dwelling most thickly. And so no one was really allowed in there. Like once a year, the high priest was allowed going in there. But other than that, nobody because it was where the Spirit of God was. And it was cut off from other people because we couldn't be in his presence without just keeling over and dying. And what happened when Christ was crucified? The moment after he died, this thick wall that was a very thick curtain that separated us from the Holy of Holies, this inner place where his Spirit dwells. What happened to that curtain, do you remember? It was torn. Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Like, there, God left no, you didn't have to guess at what was happening. Like, that curtain was so thick, there's no way it's going to tear on its own. There was a little mini earthquake right after Jesus died. It tore it. And now everybody, what it symbolizes is that wall of hostility between us and this personal engagement, encounter with God has been torn, and we now have full access to God through Christ in his work. And the second wall of hostility divided people from one another. Uh, there's another place at the temple. When you first go in, it's like the outer courts. It's, it's where the Gentiles would gather, the non-Jewish people, because... The nation of Israel was always meant to be a nation that would eventually reach the world for Christ. And so in the temple, there was a place, if you were not a Jewish person, that you could go and pray and worship God. And I think this is why Jesus was so frustrated 
in John 2 when he went to the temple and he observed that the Jewish people had actually set up tables where they're selling animals for sacrifices because you know if you traveled a long ways and you were doing an atoning sacrifice with an animal which is the way they did it back then um, it was convenient just to buy it when you got to the temple so it was kind of entrepreneurial they were making money and they were exchanging money so that you could pay the temple uh, tax it was very opportunistic and it was happening in the place where the Gentiles were supposed to be allowed to pray and worship God. It was preventing other nations from worshiping God. And we see this in John 2 in the NIV. It says the temple courts, which is referring to the, the place where the Gentiles would go. That's why Jesus was so frustrated. He went and he actually braided a whip and went in there and just drove everybody out and cleared it out again because that was supposed to be a place where all the nations could go. So verse 17 and 18 tell us how Christ unites us together at this deeper level. We see that the walls of hostility are broken. This place where the Gentiles gathered, this rail between them and where the Jewish people were allowed to go, that wall of hostility was broken down. So now, not only could we intermingle with God without being destroyed, we can also intermingle with each other. It's not just Jewish people. It's Jewish people and Gentiles alike. So let's read verse 17 and 18, and I want, I want to learn how God has united us together at a very deep level. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. He's talking about peace to you who are far off as the Gentiles and peace to those who are near the Jewish people. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So first, we're united at this deep level through the Holy Spirit. Every person in Christ now has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would dwell, like I said, most thickly in the Holy of Holies in the temple, but now we're the temple. And he lives and dwells in everyone who puts their faith in Christ. And you know, you can go anywhere in the world, and you can meet a total stranger. And if they are a Christian, you can have this immediate sense of deep camaraderie with them, this deep connection with them. At a, even a, just, I guess you could say it's a spiritual level because you both have the Spirit of God drawing you to one another in love. I remember last May we went to Florida and I was, um, we would get up in the morning and Kara would walk on the, um, this uh, boardwalk and do quiet time and pray and reflect on Scripture. And then when she came back, I would go do my walk and do the same thing. And I was sitting at the end of this, uh, this pier one time and I just had my Bible and my journal. I was writing some prayers out. And there was a guy that came up behind me, and he was, um, he was kind of on the boardwalk, and he was fishing. And I was done and gathered my stuff up, and I was walking by him and just said, hey, good morning. And he just looked at me. He's like, bless you. And I was like, oh. And he like kind of pointed to my... Bible is like a great place for communion, isn't it? And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, it is. It is. 
And we just kind of looked at each other, you know, it's awkward, you're not really sure what to say, this happens to me all the time. We're just looking at each other, and, and I was like, okay, well, all right, man, we'll, uh, we'll see you again. And it's this instant connection that you have with people that you know you're going to be spending eternity with them, you're probably going to talk to them in a million years from now, but you can go anywhere in the world because the kingdom is everywhere, and the spirit is everywhere. It's kind of a cool connection. We also have access to the same Father, and this is why we pray our Father. We were meant to pray together probably as much as we pray privately and individually. There's, you know, both of those categories are affirmed and taught in Scripture. But we pray to the same Father. So not only are we united by the Spirit, we're united by the Father. And this deep, peaceful unity we share with all believers is meant to be a, a foretaste of the type of deep community that we'll experience in heaven in eternity one day. The church is meant to be the theater of heavenly community. We're putting on display for the world to see what genuine, spiritual, loving community looks like. And to give people who are outside of the kingdom a foretaste of what it feels like to be loved and accepted within a family of believers. In the NIV Zondervan Study Bible, which is really good, um, it says this horizontal peace is not just the absence of hostility. It involves mutual acceptance and love. So it's not just the absence of something. It's not just that walls were broken down and now we just kind of coexist together. It's a community that's infused with love and grace and, and warmth toward one another. And this is something that we see Paul praying for regularly for our communities. I'm just going to read a, a couple of verses here. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, which is what I, I prayed for us at the beginning of this. And it's something that we'll be talking about later. But this is actually where you learn ways that you can experience more of God's love in your own life. Here's what it says, Ephesians 3, 16 and 19. Paul's praying for this type of love according to the riches of your glory, of, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what, is, what do you think he's asking strength for you to comprehend? What is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You're not going to experience that without praying for it. There are some things that you only receive through prayer, and I think this is one of them. To have a genuine experience of God's love requires you to partner with the Spirit as He desires to give it to you and to communicate that to you. You have to pray for it. And it's something that, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm counseling and talking with people that I just don't feel the, you know, I don't, I don't feel Christ's presence and love in my life. Well, how, how frequently do you pray for it? How long have you been praying to experience that? He's not, I mean, that's something that we have to ask for because God wants to see that we're interested in 
real connection with him, real relationship with him. It's not just like he's magically going to give you all these things. It's a partnership with him that he extends as we walk in faith in prayer and asking for these things. What if this became a priority of our lives, our prayer lives? How, when was the last time you prayed this, that you asked for power to understand and to experience the love of Christ? When's the last time you prayed for that? Because we pray for all sorts of things, but this is, these are the primary ways that Paul prayed. It's something that we should be asking for. Let's look again. Philippians 1.9 is another one of these prayers. Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. There is no end to this prayer, when it's, this, this love when it's coming from God. We have limitations to our resources and our abilities to love people, but there is no end to God. So Paul's praying, I pray that it would abound more and more, that you would experience this more and more. First Thessalonians 3.12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. You can't experience God's love to the full without asking for it in prayer. And you can't love others to the full without asking for it in prayer. These are twin pillars of the ways that we should be praying regularly. These were so important to Paul, so important to Jesus. And this is a frequent prayer of mine for Southside. Because to experience God's love and to experience a deep love for other people out of God's love working through you is a genuine miracle. We are self-absorbed and self-obsessed and self-reliant people. And so we miss out on a lot of this stuff because we just never ask for it. Imagine being a part of a community of people who continually lived in the glow of God's love because we were all individually praying for this, for our church family. And I think that's an appropriate application for this passage to consider what would be a regular weekly time where you can pray this priority for our church. Where you can pray this priority for your own life. God, I want not only, it's not good enough that the walls of hostility have been broken down, that you've made us into a new person. We want to continue to partner with you in what you already started by emphasizing what you emphasize. And that is love. And we're going to pick up Paul's cue and pray for that more and more. We just can't do it in our own strength. You're not strong enough. You're not loving enough. You're not kind enough. This is another way that we depend upon God. Why don't you stand with me and and pray right now? Well, Father, we remember that at one time we were alienated from you, enslaved to our sin, but Christ has brought us near by bringing us into your family. And now our daily experience is basking in your boundless love. 
Open wide our hearts to receive your love afresh today. And to share that love generously and bountifully with one another. Humble us in the ways that we need to be humbled. Show us the ways that we've lacked really dependence upon you in this area where we've tried to force ourselves to be more loving and we keep falling short. We need you. And this is just one more of those ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.